Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So let's look first of all to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. It means so much to us, Lord, because it's the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord, from your mouth to our ears, to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 20. Please follow along here as I begin reading here in uh, verse 7. Genesis 20, verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. For if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds that to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought... Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place, whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham, and restored Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering in the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of all the house of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, now... In our last study, you remember, that we came to this central verse, and that's where I started reading this morning in verse 7, because everything revolves around this verse. This is a verse where everything comes together. God had pronounced to Abimelech, you remember, that he was a dead man, and God, we saw last time, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked or in the death of Abimelech. God had no pleasure in that. That's what he said in Ezekiel 33, 11, when he says, say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn. See, there's this word that God used, turn from his way and live. And then he says, Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So you see, in that verse in Ezekiel 33, 11, God uses that term, turn, three times, because that's what God has pleasure in. 
He loves to see people turn from their sins. That's what God loves to see. He loves to spare the wicked from eternal death. He doesn't have pleasure in their death. And this chapter, in chapter 20 here, we're seeing here the turning of a man, which is the man Abimelech, and God is reaching his goal here, as we've been building up to this in chapter 20 here, verse 7, his, his goal to save Abimelech from his sin. So in verse 7, God doesn't use the word turn, but he uses another term, the word restore, in, in verse 7, he uses that twice, and he says, Now, therefore, restore the man his wife. For he's a prophet, he'll pray for thee, and thou shalt live, thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, that know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Which shows that God has his mind on Sarah being restored. But that's not the only restoration that God has in mind, because God's really looking here, as, we, as we've seen here, that he wants to see the restoration of Abimelech. See, Abimelech should come to this ultimate restoration. What restoration? The restoration that we know about, that we've experienced, the restoration from the power of Satan to God, from sin to salvation, from being lost to being saved. That's all about restoration from a destiny of the devil's destruction to a destiny of God's great inheritance that he's given to us, from being an alien, an enemy of God, to being a reconciled friend of God, from hell to heaven, from light, from death to life. That's what he's talking about, the word life here. So when we read that God uses this word restore, he's really talking about his favorite subject, God's favorite subject, which is not just only about Sarah being restored to Abraham, but of Abimelech's restoration to God. So that's what he wants. Now, it's very significant when we read what God said to Abimelech in verse 7. It says, restore the man his wife. See, that's interesting, those words, because those words are God's goal for broken marriages. You know, marriage counseling is not about you know, one person getting you on their side to be against the other person. That's how most marriage counseling kind of is sort of, you know, it says, let me tell you what he's done, and now you'll agree with me, he's really bad, you know. <laughs> or let me tell you what she's done, and I'm willing to get back together with her if she will agree to go to counseling because she's all messed up. See, those directions are not in the direction of reconciliation or restoration, but God's goal for marriages is restore, restore the man his wife. And when another woman has come in and taken the heart of a husband, God's word to that woman, that woman is restore the husband his wife. And that's the restoration of the wife to the husband, the husband to the wife. That's the will of God. It's not divorce. Divorce is, that's why here at the chapel, when you go to counsel some, somebody who has marriage problems, then look, you know, God's goal is reconciliation, restoration. So is, is there a desire to accomplish that? Is there a desire to do that? Because that's what we want to accomplish here. Because God's view of divorce is very clear in Malachi 2, 15 through 16, where it says that did not he make one, yet he had residue of the Spirit, wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth, for the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. He hateth putting away. And the word putting away, shalak, the word, Hebrew word putting away, that's the same word, one of the first times it's actually used, is in Genesis 3.23, when you remember when it said, 
the Lord God sent him, Adam, forth out of the Garden of Eden. Maybe he threw him out. He pushed him out. God pushed him out, said, you got to leave, depart, get away, and drove him out. That's the word, shalak. And God says, I hate shalak. I hate this pushing away, this go, depart. When the husband pushes his wife away, I hate it when the wife pushes her husband away. That's what he says. In Matthew 19, 6, he says, they're no more two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, don't let man put asunder. That's the same idea as that word. That Greek word is the word kerizio, and that means to depart. For example, when it says that, you know, that one of the, like Paul departed, that's the word that was used there. All right. So then he says, uh, and then God gave a great warning to Abimelech in verse 7, where he said, and if thou restore her not, if you take that option, Abimelech, know thou that thou shalt surely die, all thou and all that is thine. So here we see God gives to Abimelech a choice. He says, Abimelech, you can do, you can do this. In other words, God withheld Abimelech from sinning against him, but that was as far as God went with Abimelech. Then he says, in other words, God did not force Abimelech or override Abimelech's will about Sarah. God gave Abimelech a choice. Either Abimelech could choose to restore Sarah to Abraham, or Abimelech could refuse. Now, he would die in that process, but this still was his choice. And if Abimelech made that fatal decision, if he chose to refuse to restore Abraham, then God made it very clear. He said, no, that you're going to die. And the words that God used as a warning were exactly the same words that God used to warn Adam in the garden. This is a terrifying words when he said in Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Same words. In Genesis 27, if thou refuse to, if thou, if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. And that's the way that God deals with lost sinners. That's the picture. He offers life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes to many lengths to try to persuade the lost to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts Christians in their path. To witness to them, he convicts their heart of sin and of judgment and that this world is doomed. He he foils their plans to sin like he did here with Abimelech. He makes the way of the transgressor hard as he did with Paul in Acts 9.5 when it says, the Lord said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But then as God did with Abimelech, so God does with the lost sinner He leaves the final choice to the person. The final decision to believe or not to believe is left 100% to the lost person. As he said to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, when he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, God said, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, so this is what God did. Then he he steps back and he says, now, I've set this before you as your judge. Now I'm going to step back and be your counselor, be your advisor, be your helper. And then that verse, he says, therefore, choose life that that, that both thou and thy seed may live. See, that's God. 
And so the way that God put that to the Jewish people is exactly how we see him putting this now to Abimelech, exactly how we see God putting this to lost sinners today. He said, I have set before you, God says. It's right there. And God's the one who sets before a person this life and death and blessing and cursing. And then he steps back as he did with Abimelech, as he does with the lost. And he says, now I want to advise you, don't choose the death and the cursing part, choose life. And so God leaves the person absolutely alone to make his final decision. And then God honors that decision. And that decision determines the person's eternal destiny. It's going to be life in heaven, or it's going to be death in hell. And if we're to be the faithful prophet evangelist that God wants us to be, we'll do exactly the same thing. We'll be that way. We'll set before the lost in very clear terms God's offer. He offers life or death. He offers blessing or cursing. And we'll use all the powers and the imagination that we can come up with to try to persuade them, to try to convince them to do everything we can But then, like God, we know that there's a time when we back off and we let the person make his own free will decisions, his decision. And that's what we see God doing here with Abimelech. So verse 7, God's saying to Abimelech, Abimelech, the choice is yours. And that's always how God operates. He loves to see people make a choice. He loves choice. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ is a matter of choice. And just as he let Abimelech make his choice, God leaves both of those um, open to the to person. Believe in the Bible. That's a choice. And just as he let Abimelech make his choice, God leaves the, the, the option, believe or not believe, open to man. Becoming the bride of Christ, becoming the part of the bride of Christ. It's the choice of the church. There's no forced marriages with God. He doesn't operate that way. There's no sovereignty of God that forces man to believe. There's no predestination where God prearranges who's going to believe and who's going to go to heaven and who's not going to believe and go to hell. Because when God said this word to Abimelech, the word if, in, in verse 20 there, that was the choice. He says, he said, if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die. See, that if is a very real possibility for Abimelech. And the choice was Abimelech's. And if Abimelech chose not to restore Sarah to Abraham, then Abimelech would suffer the consequences and Abimelech would be totally responsible and have no one to blame but himself. And that's the why God puts those words together. If and know thou. If and know thou. They're very important. If thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die. So he wants Abimelech to know that he would surely die because of his sin and of not restoring Sarah. And God wants every lost person to know that he's going to die, surely die if he doesn't obey God and take his free offer of salvation from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. And every person who's in hell today is there because of his choice. No person in hell can say that he's there because he wasn't part of the predestined group that God chose would would repent and obey him because there is no predestined group that God chooses is going to repent and obey. And that's why the words know thou in verse 7 are what what everybody knows in hell, that it is 100% their responsibility. But by saying in verse 7, if thou and then know thou, God is in essence saying that this is the responsibility. There's no such thing as irresistible grace that overrides a person's will in this matter. Okay, now, we've already seen how God in verse 7 told Abimelech that Abraham was a prophet. And what's interesting is what God told Abimelech about what Abraham would do. He said in verse 7, He's a prophet. He shall pray for thee. 
and thou shalt live. So we see clearly what a prophet is here with regard to how God is presenting Abraham to Abimelech. And so God speaks through a prophet, and a prophet speaks for God. So what God is saying to Abimelech here was that God was speaking through Abraham, and Abraham was speaking for God. See, God was showing, he was telling Abimelech this. He said, look, you need to learn about God from Abraham. I'm going to speak from Abraham. That's a picture of how God wants us to be in the world that we are around lost people. We're like Abraham, and we should view our job as bringing the knowledge of God to the lost. So as prophets like Abraham, we speak for God, and God speaks through us. And that's what the Jewish people will be someday in the future, as hard as it is to imagine, but it's given to us in Zechariah 8.23, where it describes this scene, we can hardly imagine it, where it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We'll go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. See, in that coming day, Gentiles are going to come to the Jew and say, Tell us about God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Take us to him, lead us to him. And then they'll fulfill their mission as prophets when they do that. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's who we are today. We are God's prophets today. We do that. And as prophets, what should our subject be? What what should our subject be to the lost? The subject is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Abraham would speak to Abimelech about, God. Abraham didn't know God by his name of the Lord Jesus Christ at that time, but it was the same person. And so we see now in verse 7 that Abraham was not only responsible to be the prophet and speak about him, but he had another responsibility, which is not the job of a prophet, and that's that, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. So what we see here is that Abraham had two responsibilities, speak and pray. Speak and pray. That's our responsibilities. It's that this fell back to Abraham. Abraham was expected by God to pray for Abimelech so that Abimelech could live. And that's what God's all about, live, life. And this shows that God wanted Abraham to pray for the life of Abimelech. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. It's not a sin to pray for the lost. It's not wrong to pray for the lost. It's our responsibility to pray for the lost. And that should be the focus of our prayer. For the lost, we should pray that they will come to life through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 9, 1 through 3, when he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness, a continual sorrow right here in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. No Christian can say that he's telling the truth in Christ unless he has a great heaviness and a continual burden in his heart for his family members who are lost, that they should come to life through the Lord Jesus Christ his friends that are lost, work or wherever, that they should come to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. His neighbors that are lost, that they should come to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said in the next chapter exactly what this great heaviness and continual sorrow was in his heart 
when he said in Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's it. Paul's desire and prayer to God for the Jewish simply or the Jewish people was just they might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from being lost from God, saved from the judgment of their sins, saved from the power of Satan, saved from hell, saved from death, saved to life. Then there's no question in Paul's mind what he was praying for for the lost. He was praying for the lost to live. And there's no question what Abraham was to pray for for Abimelech. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And Abraham was to pray for Abimelech to find life, eternal life, in God. Now, we read in verse 8 of Abimelech's decision. And it says, Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Now, this is, there's something in the way that a person responds to God that really shows the level of their seriousness with God. And so we see Abimelech, first, he's got it. And Abimelech, it says that he rose early in the morning. He was on a mission to obey God. And so God loves to see this early in the morning spirit, this response that Abimelech had. Now, more details, more significant details are told to us in what Abimelech did when he got up early in the morning. It says, therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all those things in their ears, and the men were so afraid. So here we see Abimelech, he didn't wait till his servants just woke up. You know, you know, I know they get up around 7 o'clock, so I'll wait till they show up for work at 8, and then I'll tell them what it, no, no, no. He, he got them up. He, he gets up, they get up. All of them get up early in the morning, and twice this word all is used in this, in this verse. It's very important. First we see Abimelech calls all his servants, not just some, but every last one of them, from the lowest, the janitor, you know, to the one who prepared the food, all of them. And then we read that Abimelech told all these servants all these things. He didn't edit it. He didn't paraphrase it. He just told everything to his servants. That was very, very embarrassing for Abimelech. It was humiliating for him. He's going to tell all his servants that God has pronounced him to be a dead man because he's, created, he's committed this great sin. And because of his sin, he not only endangered his life, but he endangered their lives as well and his people. And so when it says that he told all his servants, it means that, that he, told all, he told them all of them without any edit. It reminds me of a time in, uh, in 2006 when we had just moved into our new building in Takati and we gathered about 200 uh, assemblers together and, and, and we had a little dedication ceremony just among our people there, our assemblers. And so, you know, we prayed. I think we had some fruit to eat or something like that. And we were all standing there because we didn't have any chairs. And, uh, and it was my turn to speak. And so in speaking, I spoke about dedication, the subject of dedication. And I told all the people how I dedicated my life to the Lord Jesus Christ in, in how I was saved. And I gave my, I told them how I was driven by sin, by my sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I finished, something very unusual happened because what happened was no one clapped. You know, they always clapped after I say something. I mean, not that I want the claps, but, you know, it's just like, okay, expect the claps about, but nobody claps. And so now I worried, you know, and I said, well, I wonder if I said something wrong. Maybe I said something offensive to Mexican culture, which is very easy to do. I didn't know. So anyway, so I asked Diana, who was doing the translation for me, I said, did I say something wrong because nobody clapped? And Diana told me, she said, 
They, they didn't clap because they've never heard a company president say he was a sinner. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> so when the word all is used here in verse 8, he called all his servants and told all these things, Abimelech didn't hold back from telling all his servants all the history about how he was a great sinner. And, and when he was finished, nobody clapped. I'm sure nobody clapped. <laughs> and that's why, that's why the, the two uses of the word all in verse 8 are, very, are so important. And that is the express Abimelech's willingness to humble himself. And unless a person is willing to humble himself under the mighty hand of God before others, there's no going forward with God. There's no going forward with God without humility. That's what he means when he says in James 4, 6, that he gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.